reviews. Uh, this evening, we will be having a talk about a, an album that, that changed the face of the planet musically <laughs> uh, when it came out. Um, it's Nirvana's Nevermind, which is a little bit of a companion piece in certain respects that I'm sure we'll refer to as we go along um, in association with the Appetite for Destruction podcast that we did in certain ways. So... Uh, this evening, I have uh, it's the original crew. This evening, I've got uh, Martin. Hello. Hello. And Ian. Hello. So, having uh, sneakily prearranged who goes first tonight, Martin. <laughs> yes, here's me with the short straw. Go for it, man. Well, for me, this is an album that uh, was a definite from the first listen. Uh, it was easy to digest because it kind of fed into all the different types of music I like. Pop music, punk rock, aggressive rock, and also a bit of mellow. So it ticked all my boxes in the fact that it was angry, it was angsty, it was jump abouty, it was danceable, and it made me, it made me feel... So straight away, it was an album I could connect with very, 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 very quickly. And obviously, I'd heard previous stuff by the band, um, but this was a lot more polished from what, what I'd heard before. But it was an album straight away. It didn't feel like it was a compromise in any way. And uh, like I say, straight away, it was an album I could get on with. It wasn't one that I had to listen to. Cool. Ian, initial thoughts? Um, yeah, very... Uh, similarly, I, I, I sometimes tame to take to task that notion of um, how surprising an album this was in terms of changing the face of music. It certainly did that from a mainstream point of view and a, rep a, 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 a reporting point of view. But, I mean, this comes... Soundgarden have been around a long time. Dinosaur Jr., The Pixies. These are... Uh, even The Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, these weren't small bands with small amounts of record sales. Um, I think where Nevermind differs is it got mainstream radio play and crossed over into those kind of uh those kind of charts so i think it's important for that that reason but i don't i'm not convinced in and of itself it was radically new oh it's interesting i yeah i'm not saying I, there was stuff out there <laughs> i was, I was going to leave this till later on and, and sort of tease Number three in the trilogy, as you and I have talked about, uh, <laughs> Ian. But uh, we talk about sort of like the real thing, which was out in 1989. So there was, yes, there were plenty of alternative flavors kicking around prior to this. I think the context that I mean that is, which you've kind of alluded to by using the words air, uh, radio play, should I say? Yeah. Is um, it, it, it changed things for the mainstream, it created a zeitgeist. Yeah. And it made, it lifted, what is it? Oh, I can't remember the quote. A high tide lifts all the boats sort of thing. Uh, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of artists mm. managed to um, be heard on the radio, be the object of pursuit by record companies. And uh, a lot of, alter. <laughs> the word alternative is very difficult to use in a way, but the alternative music all of a sudden became something that people wanted. And I think as somebody... Like I, said, I, I was quite, uh, quite into alternative music, though I became a lot more into alternative music because of this and everything that followed, probably because of how old I was in the years. But um, 
I, I think yeah. I think that's my point. I, uh, obviously, musically, it's, it's accomplished, and we're going to be talking about that as we as we go through, and it and it has its own merits. But I I, I think it's important when we talk about it, its place as an album that we think about what the album did and it's exactly that it was a trojan horse or a battering ram mm. that kind of got this huge amount of music that was waiting there into more public acceptance and it did that ultimately by taking that alt rock uh, alternative form and and making sure there were proper pop songs <laughs> that people could listen to yeah oh, always works if you've got yeah. good melodies it'll sound. it was the one that went overground and you, it went from being a, a dark nightclub thing where you'd dress a certain way where you'd see the Beckhams with the flannel shirts and the ripped jeans and, you know, it, it became a fashion. You know, we, we can't get away from that. Yeah. They became fashionable and the, the grungy look was all over Cosmo and every other magazine going <laughs> as a result of it because having a major label to push them, they were able to go overground. Yeah. And having the pop-up sensibilities throughout the songs certainly doesn't hurt, but it's sometimes it can be a timing thing. You can hear two albums where you think, why did that album, as opposed to that album, why, was it, why wasn't it Surfer Rosa that, that hit big? The songs on there that you, you, yeah. you, you wax lyrical about, why wasn't it the real thing that went that leap? Why yeah. wasn't it X, Y, or Z? Timing, yeah. uh, fashion, mm. great pop-hooks, and just one person to get it who passes it on to the next, you pass it on. Plus, I think you've got to, you've got, it's, if it's something that's new, I think there is a certain audience and demographic that you've got to relate to. And I think he basically got the mid to upper teenage uh, market interested in a way. I think there was a younger, uh, a younger following because he, I don't know, there was something about, it was kind of like a viable outsider. And I think when you're going through, whether you're male or female, you're going through your teens. I think there is something about listening to a um, a, fi- a figure writing songs. And again, that these songs weren't about sex and drugs and rock and roll. These songs were about feelings, emotions, you know, and that was kind yeah. of new in itself at the time because all we'd been listening to was um, sort of rock and hair metal and excess in the zeitgeist, popular radio type of side of things. So I think that was kind of quite important as well. Yeah, I think anyone who who says, you know, I originally intended to call on an album, I hate myself and I want to die, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, you yeah. know it, 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 it speaks to the the people who probably, probably previously felt they had no voice, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people kind of latched onto. Here's one, here's someone like me, and they could, yeah. they could Although, feel that. His, his other title um, that he was, was going with was Sheep. And actually, if you look at the kind of pseudo press release and and what have you that you wrote around around that, it does show somewhat of a contempt for the people that were going to end up buying the album. Or, or yeah. you know, um, as we'll touch on on that kind of thing uh, a little uh, later on as we go through. I I, I reckon, but um, yeah, there's certainly some interesting uh, personality and various levels of ego at, at play in all of that as well. One thing I did want to talk about because I can remember, I, I can remember specifically when I started listening to this album. I, I spectacularly failed all my A levels because I started playing guitar and ended up working in a mill because that was where people went who failed everything miserably, not to university. So, ran a battered mill, played in a few bands with Ian, and um, 
and, and uh, just started listening to lots and lots of music. And I remember buying this on cassette from EGS Records in Huddersfield. And um, I, I kind of distinctly remember sat in a mule gate, which is a, an archaic spinning machines, and, uh, <laughs> listening to this. And it was right at the beginning, it wasn't an immediate sort of, um, wow, every song is brilliant. I like Teen Spirit because it was just incredibly catchy full stop. But a few of the songs were sort of um, creating a little bit of a mental crucible in my head because I'd been listening to Poison Skid Row, Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses and uh, that kind of thing for music that sort of wasn't Prince and so on and so forth for a couple of years uh, and learning my sort of craft on the guitar. But very, very quickly, I, I, I got sort of subsumed into this and it all started making sense very quickly. I think this was, I hate, I hate to say this because it's such a by proxy, but in a sense, this was probably one of my more formative avenues into more sort of punk music and punkisms, if I'm perfectly honest, which I don't know, that could be <laughs> frowned upon a little bit. But well, no, I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely a kind of recognised gateway drug into a whole range of, uh, because just because of the le- number of influences that, that were in there, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain was, um, you know, famously into... Uh, the the Beatles and that kind of thing, but but the Melvins was like his his favorite band, and you know, and the Pixies and, and what have you. Uh, Sonic Youth, he, uh, you know, he was obviously the, the the Geffen deal came because of a nod from Sonic Youth and and what have you. So there's a lot of um, things that are, are kind of mixed in to the album, and so part of the joy of of that kind of thing is you finding those influences and then chasing them down and and. You know, so it's I, I I think there are albums that like that that come along from time to time, and they're they're kind of important for that kind of uh, reason as much as anything. Mm. And on the subject of mix, you mentioned about mixing. I, that, the one thing I'd like to comment on the whole album is the work of Butch Vig. It's when I've listened back to it again on the big cans, I'm I'm. I'm delighted to hear old albums in with new ears and hear little bits and go my god that's phenomenal work you know knowing now because it obviously the first time i heard it i had no studio craft at all never been a, re- a recording studio a rehearsal studio uh but to actually hear things and think right okay well i've got an idea how that might have happened and that's really really intelligent it's really well well worked out but of course the band famously rejected his mix and it was remixed by someone else, but you can hear the production Wallace, in yeah. there, um, and uh, which you know, uh, and that comes through. It's a bit difficult to listen to that in these days. I had to go back to the original CD because if you look on uh, Spotify and all, all the online streaming services, it's 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 only the remastered version that's available, and the drums are bigger on that, and you know, it's it's a sli- it's slightly more modern. Oh, they yeah. they were. Yeah. Um, but but it sounds it's had a a contemporary treatment on it. Right. It's one of those that the remaster actually has made it sound like a post millennial uh, album, rather than something that was you know um, uh, where you could hear that that the, the proving grounds were on sub pop and then and then they got mm. some some uh, uh, some welly behind it. So um, I've I've tried to listen back to the uh, to the original mm. uh, CD. But yeah, you're right. I think the production's phenomenal. I I I love what uh, uh, Butchvig does anyway. 
I love that. I just love the mix of it's it's a form of music which again I'm not saying it has no subtlety, but it is not subtle in the same way of as a lot of sort of um, forms with very distinct areas and distinct jobs. It's a it's, a, it's more of a sort of blunt force trauma tour de force. It's like the whole I, one of the quotes I read was like. Uh, Kurt Cobain wanted to write more melodic stuff but he was like but we're going to have to make it as heavy as we can because I don't want it to sound I guess too beat beatless to, to go back to what you said yeah. earlier um, which I really love and again it's it's simple wall of guitar and bass with well possibly the absolute perfect drummer in the universe <laughs> that could have recorded it with at that, that point in time and uh, some decent work from Chad Channing prior to that as well on a, on a couple of tracks Um but anyway, okay then, let's start off with this with the opening track, which is obviously the uh, little known, <laughs> <laughs> little known hit. Smells like Teen Spirit. Um, oh, what to say about this song? I mean, again, if if this album opened the floodgates for a certain type of music coming into the uh, um, into mainstream. Then this was the song that, that that opened sort of opened the lock of that door that they all flooded through. Um, iconic video, but 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 the song for me, yes, I'm a guitarist and I like my four chords, but the, the song for me, and I've said this again and again, is only about the and I was like, oh my god, what's this? Um, which I suppose underpins uh, Dave Grohl's importance even more. Um, and the power that it brought to it, but oh, ma- massive single. And the other thing I really liked about it as well, it, when people talk about sort of good guitarists, and I know that the guitar solo is kind of basically following the, vo- the vocal melody, but it's I, I really think that is a beautiful solo. It's, it's dead simple, but it's so perfect in the context of the whole. Um, just I love this song. Mm. Well, that talking about the solo that. He was a massive fan of uh, Pete Shelley's solos in the Buzzcocks. And there's a wonderful Buzzcocks live performance where they're doing What Do I Get? And he gets to the solo and he goes, tricky guitar solo. It's ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 all the way through. And towards the end of the career, they had the opportunity to have the Buzzcocks support them on their last ever tour. Um and he, he wanted to say, he did that as a thank you to Pete Shelley because Pete Shelley was someone he was influenced by as a guitarist. And that solo is, like you say, it's simplicity that really speaks for itself. It's not trying to be, you know, Steve Vai, you know, Ilmi Malmsteen or, you know, any of these wonderfully talented guitarists. It's like, this is me, this is what I do. And it works all the better for it. Yeah, and it, I, you know, it's it's the, it's the same kind of vibe as punk coming off the of ten years of prog rock, mm. you know, and and the the kind of yeah virtual virtuoso musician giving way to the, you know, snotty upstart that's got something to say and a and an amplifier, um, you know, and it work it works great. And I, probably part part of the reason that the solo works nicely is because it's a really, it's a really good melody line, um, you know, it's not uh, for those four chords. I mean, that, those four chords um, or that, you know, that, that structure of chords, if you take uh, take the root notes, you've heard that song a hundred times before, but he's found a different melody through those chords. And um, on that slightly um, phased guitar solo, it's just, uh, you know, um, you, you're, learning, you're learning the tune 
and that you can sing along to that or whistle whistle on your way way home uh which is always good i think i think to me um so so i i'd heard bleach but it, it wasn't something i was uh, i was particularly interested uh in um uh never mind i actually had tickets to see them uh in bradford before i'd heard the album and so i think i think it was november 91 uh, supported by Shonen Knife and Captain America, who uh, uh, they re- they renamed. Um, it was someone from the Vaseline's. It was yeah. their kind of kind of band. Um, uh, you know, this is not, not really. Fun. It, it was a terrible gig anyway. <laughs> I, I think I don't know whether they were road fatigued, but they just didn't want to be there. Um, at Nirvana. It was just. It was. A, awful performance i thought and it not in a not in a punk way it was just yeah lackluster um but having said all that because i had tickets i didn't really know i got tickets because you know it was a bunch of people going um someone gave me the album on cassette and um and so i I, i'd listened to that but teen spirit as well as being a big radio single was a really good club hit and the reason the reason it works really well is because the previous song stops and it has to stop. You can't run these together. And the intro is so idiosyncratic and uh, 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 and so um, uh, un- uniquely identifiable that the moment it starts, you'd see people coming running from all different directions <laughs> to the dance floor um, to the extent that there's that uh, that kind of hip hop remix that came out about uh, four was, years later that, that tricks people. That. <laughs> I, I was one of those people in. Uh, when I, down, d- no, no, down at the KU in Huddersfield when Credit to the Nation recorded the song, which... Call it what you want. That's the one. Uh, um, and they used the, the intro. It took me ages until my ears had, had worked just out. Just the, the subtle difference. difference, yeah. And then and then I ended up dancing to that one anyway because it really grew up. Yeah, I know. So credit to the nation. They were a great band as well. But but uh, Teen Spirit, not only it, it, did it get people onto the dance floor, but it it kept them there because for, for I mean, alternative rock type people are not great dancers. They can stomp around fast or stomp around slow and wheel, wheel about. You speak for yourself. <laughs> Windmill the hair. <laughs> Not anymore. But yeah, well. it's got a slow groove to it. And yeah. then the chorus comes in. And for about 30 seconds, which is, you know, about as long as people could manage after lungfuls of cigarettes and uh, alcohol, they can jump around like idiots. And then it slows down again. Uh, it's kind of perfect in, in, in that kind of... Um, in that kind of sense, because not only um, uh, do people recognise it the moment it comes on, but they know how to dance to it. Because they're waiting for all the cliche spots, yeah. all the high spots and all the yeah. dynamic yeah. movements. It's, there's so much in terms of uh, of highs and lows and uh, and loud and quiets in that. I, I, because I didn't want to sort of blow everything on Smells Like Teen Spirit, I'd save the idea of uh, sort of noise and quiet motif songwriting for come as you are but hey yeah absolutely it works oh, it's, it's riddled throughout the album yeah, very well uh very well executed shall we say paddy i know you've you've already mentioned about dave Grohl's drumming um you know massive fan of his playing but particularly on you know the the verses if you listen to it on really good cams it the third b it's like he's Someone's chucked a brick on the kick pedal. It's like really, it goes, <laughs> it goes dirt, dirt, bang. It's ri- 
it's phenomenally played. It's just metronomic. You know, we talked about drummers in previous episodes, and this is one where it almost carries the baton on because the band's only good as a drummer. And the difference between Bleach and Nevermind is Dave Grohl, for me. Sonically, there's not that much difference. It's just a better production and a better drummer for me. I, I, I think he's, yeah, I think the songwriting purposely went a little bit from the sort of dissonance they enjoyed and that sort of yeah. melange of sounds to, to proper writing. But, oh, yes, he made a hell of a difference. But particularly, like I say, it's the kick drum on this one that stands mm. out for me more than all the guitars on it. But I get what you mean. And, Ian, it was exactly the same in the phono as it would have been <laughs> in, in Huddersfield. As soon as that... Ding, 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 ding. It's like dance floor. All the Neds, Atomic Dustbins fan, every you know Sonic Youth fans. All these people would just yeah. all converge, and it'd be a whole windmill of hair and arms because that's what you did. Mm. And it was, it was, it was joyful. So, well, Martin, as as we're on a bit of a drum trip, then shall we jump into In Bloom, which I believe has uh, the that that uh, opening sort of drum groove is a is a Chad Channing. Cast off. In fact, Dave Grohl referred to him specifically because I believe he was in the room when they went into the Hall of Fame, but not on the stage. I think he referred to Chad Channing in some detail about thank you, Chad, because if you listen to In Bloom, etc. Is that uh, does that do you think that's still fits on the album? Okay, <laughs> the Chad yeah. doing good enough to get it on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 one of those things that uh, you're always going to have different flavors in any album. The thing that I love about this song, even even though I'm talking about what a great drummer, is just the bass. The way the bass really, it's really grotty and really grimy and really dirty. And I love the bass on this more than anything to do with this song. The cool. really, it's like really lolloping, dirty bass, and it, it it carries the rest of it for me above everything else. Great song, but the bass more than anything. Hey, bass players! Well, I used I used the fact that um, well, I've got, we've got a bass, we've got a bass, proper bass player on the podcast now. You know, yes, indeed, <laughs> a bass player on the podcast, gigging and everything. I extended my uh, multi instruments instrumentalist uh, <laughs> Good stuff. musicians union card. I'll let you in first. Well, no, it's uh, it's uh, uh, um, and it's I think it's the syncopated nature of that riff as well. The, the it's it's a weird. A kind of swing to it, the da ba 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 da, you know, and it's the the vocal isn't in the same type, same swing as the riff. It plays against it, and I I, I just think that's a, a you know whether by design or accidental, it it, it just makes for a really interesting uh, uh, texture. And it's so different to the previous song as well. Yeah. So yeah. when when you get to the end of Teen Spirit and this starts. Because it starts with big chords and you know big drums and whatever, and then settles into 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 the groove. Yeah, it's it, it's great. You don't you know, uh, unlike some albums um, where you could be forgiven for thinking you're still listening to the <laughs> a slightly different fa- um, uh, phrase in the same song. There's there's absolutely no um, uh, uh, no confusion here. You we're into a different song. To, to be completely transparent, to be honest, I when when you were doing this album, I looked up because I remember watching it years ago. I looked up and rewatched the um, classic album episode with, for this album, and one of the one of it, in Bloom was one of the tracks that um, as Butch Fig was talking about what they did, and he was on the desk isolating uh, tracks. He isolated the um, 
the chorus parts and the harmonies that Dave Grohl was doing and then how they doubled up yeah. both vocal tracks. And I just thought, wow, you're taking, you know, the, the so- subtleties of harmony within a really grungy punk, highly infused drum, tr- you know, heavy drum track and everything. And yet you're still doing this sort of really beautiful stuff. Uh, and it's just so powerful. When when they're isolated, they sound absolutely fantastic, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but, I remember um, that. We get plenty of that, plenty of that through um, through the whole album, I guess. Um, but okay, uh, moving on to another one of the singles, "Come as You Are." Ian, what do you make of "Come as You Are"? Um, uh, great. It's a, it's a different uh, texture uh, again. Um, I, I I I have a slight niggle with this is i don't like the ride symbols um i mean what a stupid thing to get hung up about <laughs> but um the the 16ths on the ride to me they're they're two on the grid there's no swing in them and it just every time it sounds it, it just sounds like he's fighting against it and you go no this is dave grohl <laughs> he, he he can play all right so i don't know what it what it is it's just a personal taste thing no no you're right because it's funny i i i sort of see the drum parts behind the verses, this is one of the things I'd kind of made notes on when, again, it's another it's another darkness and light motif, et cetera, et cetera. So you have the the lovely sort of over-chorused guitar lick yeah. um, picked and, and a, a sort of gentle vocal. But I quite like the drums because there's something about it which made it sound like a a bit of a sort of smoke-filled jazzy room. No, I, I, I the, love the drums the and I love the sound of the cymbals. I think it's yeah. great. It's just something, it's too metronomic. The rest of the, the, mm-hmm. the rest of drum pattern and the bass and everything sw- swings, but that thing is just, it sound, It almost sounds like someone else is playing the ride next to it and they're not quite on the same wavelength. Yeah. I this is stupid for me to get hung up on it, but it's one of those those things. It's a brilliant song. It's got great light and shade, and and when it drives into the chorus and it gets shouted, I mean, what's not to like? But it just it just sticks in my ears every time that 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 verse. It just sounds sounds too mechanical. I think that's what what it is. It it doesn't seem in keeping. Roy Walker always said, "If you see it, say it." In relation to Mr. Chip, so I guess for us, Ian, if you hear it, say it in relation to this podcast. I think I think this is you know this is as close as I'm getting to like slagging anything off ever. Um, uh, But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I I, and I think I think the the other thing to mention is is uh, uh, smells like Teen Spirit. I probably after you know uh, thirty years of listening to it, I'm probably a bit fatigued with that that song. And so, if I listen to the album, I might even skip that one. <laughs> um, "Come as You Are" is what it, it, it is a highlight uh, for me as I'm as I'm working through usually. That's it. Eighties. It's 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 a scandalous slowdown ripoff of Killing Joke's eighties for me. <laughs> um, and that is something that's always stuck in my claw with this song uh, from the very first moment I heard it because it's so blatant. Um, there's other songs on this album that put me in mind of other songs where you think you can tell the fans of these bands and Killing Joke would be, you know, alternative rock band, you know, in this similar kind of sphere. It's just so obvious. And I think, you know, back in, going forward in time to 2003, Killing Joke, self-titled album, drummer Dave Grohl, it's called Payback for a reason. Um, 
and it's always annoyed me is that and the other thing it's the third song in a row that mentions guns as well <laughs> yeah it's, it's an american culture thing yeah. uh because looking at the lyrics of the previous song it's like hmm is it talking about the american man not this one but the previous song is talking about the american man in the street yeah he doesn't really get what we're on about here that's that's what it felt like whereas this song like i say it it, it always annoyed me from the first time i heard it i thought that's not an original song. That's a cover version under a different <laughs> name, because it's it just it it never really went out of that groove for me. So I've always had a downer on this song for that reason. It's not a bad song, but I've heard it done better by Killing Joke. So <laughs> there we go. That's my two penneth on this song. Ah, oh, so we, I, well, yeah, it it'd be pointless just gushing over everything for the sake of it. I mean, I love this song. I absolutely love it. I can't say otherwise. I think uh, all four singles were just real heavy hitters for me. But um, but yeah, no, fair play. I, I'm i not familiar with 80s, so I'm certainly going to go and have a listen to that, in fairness, Martin. So thanks for that. I will uh, I will go there. I will definitely go there. Um, so yeah, moving on to Breed, which felt like a little bit more... I think there's punkier stuff than this, but this felt like the first one that sort of really went for it. It wasn't syncopated. It was just, boom, off we go. Um, and again, I, this, is, this is one of the ones, uh, one of the good things about, well, I'll say good things about Nirvana. That's a weird thing to say because I think the reason why there's a lot of live albums out there is sadly because he didn't last long enough to do any, um, any more studio albums and it's a way of getting stuff released. But nevertheless... Uh, I, I'm trying to keep uh, sort of positive, positive vibe on that. I love like I love listening to live shows, and I always thought that Breed was an absolute banger live. Um, simple riff, those um, snare snare rolls like Machine Gun, mm. Dave Grohl snare rolls, and so on and so on. It just it's just such a good track live, and it sounds really really big. But yeah, love Breed, really good track. Um, Anything for for that? Yeah, I I love the um, the overdriven bass, um, which is just on the edge um, of 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 escaping in, into noise. It's been tamed nicely, so it's you still retain the nice melodic side to it, but it's got so much grunt and and, and growl to it. Um, I, I, it's, a, it's a great great bit of engineering. My two word summary of this is petulant ferocity, because <laughs> uh, it it. it and not a lot of time spent on lyrics on this one, <laughs> if you look at them. Um, but all the better for it. Sometimes things that are good are good because they're simple. It's a simple riff, but like you say, it's played with such gusto and the engineering of it, the, the way it's being put together, it, it, it sounds ferocious. Ferocious is a brilliant yeah. word for this song. Yeah, yeah. That's one that didn't come to me that I wish had done because that is indeed a good, uh, a good overall description. You're saying about the the, the the like the machine gun snare. That's you know it's very much in keeping with the speed and the intention of what the song's all about. It's about what was you know you might have us down as this radio friendly unit shifter, but this is what we do, and this is what we do bloody well. And good luck to them for it. I, I think one of the things is um, uh, Kurt Cobain's uh, vocals are at his best when he's when he's shouting and screaming because yeah. they're always in tune. There are a lot of shouters and a lot of screamers um, 
across modern popular music, you get some something real behind it. It stays in tune and it stays melodic, except for certain places. I mean, as demonstrated in various places on this album, where he just kind of loses it completely and his voice mm. escapes uh, from him. And this is a nice, um, I think this is a nice showcase for that side of it. Because he's, he's not a great singer uh, in terms of, you know, the, 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 the things where um, the, the kind of more melodic stuff. He's quite good doing the, the quiet s- stuff and the, the almost... Uh, kind of whispered almost spoken stuff the bit in the middle is where he's weakest and i think you know songs like this really play play to play to his strengths mm. i think if you look yeah he's not he's not a great classic singer but i do think he he benefits what you're referring to with when he he really goes for it and he does the harsher side of things you have like you know loud scratchy and then he sort of achieves cheese grater yeah absolutely and, and, and he and, and it, to me it folds back into the sort of symbiotic relationship with with teens and the the realness of it, the rawness of it, the fact that you can believe for a start, this band, I mean, again, how bloody sadly was it kind of proved now really was. He wasn't somebody who was looking to be a rock star. He, they they were the the bigger they got, the more visibly they sort of struggled with it and so on and so forth, which, yes, I know somebody, if, if somebody wants to throw back at me, look at Dave Grohl, yeah, all right, fair enough. But I think Kurt in particular, he, he struggled with that. And again, therefore, that ability of that demographic to relate to him and the band and the realness of the songs. And it's so much easier if you're a, a mainstream person who's listened to hair rock up until that point or standard pop, the fact that they're real makes it a lot easier to listen to the cheese grater because yeah. if there is a um you know a symbiosis there it works well i think it definitely uh, catches that that kind of teenage attitude i but i i, I do think you know probably there'll be people will be starting to throw rocks at the uh, whatever podcast device they're listening on but but i do think that uh, perhaps some of the lyrics and some of the views aren't quite as accomplished as people give credit for. I do think it's very much teenage righteous ire as opposed to, you know, a, 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 a mature contemplated uh, critique of, uh, of the world. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Mardi. Yeah, but it's kind of, it's root, it's root one teenage angst. A lot, a lot of it. Um, you know, and we know this, but you know the, the 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 things about oh, we don't want to be pop stars, but we went, we definitely went in search of a major label. Um, you know, uh, uh, we we punk, we share everything. Five months into um, the album being the biggest selling album that year, he wants to rewrite the contract and say, well, I should have more money than everyone. You know, these 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 are things that that are kind of they're in conflict, and I think there's a lot of stuff. That um, like a lot of artists, good, good artists, there, there's a persona that's put out there. There's probably a real person somewhere else. The truth, you know, it's it, it's not Somewhere for us necessarily to, to know. Well, um, instinct, instinct tells me, and again, this is just my two penneth, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's completely naive to think that there are people who want a major record deal that don't necessarily want to be famous. They just want to get their product out. I think. The, the the idea of sort of teenage angst, yes. I mean, a lot, there was, um, when I was reading up more on the background of the album, some of the stuff was about uh, the breakup with 
um, his girlfriend, whose name escapes with the lady from Bikini Kill. Yeah. And, it, you know, that stuff, it's not... How, it's not contrived. These, these no, it's I, fair. I, it's I'm saying it's absolutely real, but it's uh, and it's felt and it's felt at that age as teenage, and that's why it connects. Yeah. What, yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is, to me, listening to this, <laughs> um, uh, thirty odd way years away from being a teenager, <laughs> it it sounds it sounds. I, I could absolutely see why this was a big album when I was nineteen, twenty. Absolutely. But by the same token, I still love the music but but the sentiment doesn't quite resonate for me that the angst and righteous ire to me strikes a bit more of misanthropy but uh, misanthropy i can't even say that misanthropy um uh, at the moment know. and and to that in terms of the lasting yeah. kind of thing whenever i say see someone posting on social media about how i hate all people and blah blah you, you know i think that's uh, that kind of anti-humanist stance i think it's a very youthful and naive ki- kind of thing it's it you know it's a it, there's a lot of posturing i think is what i say and i don't know whether i'm i'm ascribing that uh to to this or to the fans of this yeah it's a lot of balances i think we're older looking back and i think that you can still ascribe a lot of anti a lot of anger without absolution and mis- sort of literality in your lyrics. It's I, I still again I, I may I, I'm I'm happy to admit that I may well be being completely naive, but I don't I honestly don't think that there was a any ever any sniff of well let's write something which points in this direction because it's more likely to have sort of impact in the oh, context no. of driving yeah. towards a major No, that's the complete opposite of what I'm saying. What, right, okay. what, what I'm saying I'm is I, 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 I think he is absolutely um, from the heart and, yeah, uh, yeah. and saying this stuff, which is why it connected with that younger audience so much. I think it, it, it was absolutely real. What I'm saying is it's not a particularly mature view on the world. Yeah, and we yeah, will okay. never know what Kurt Cobain would have written about the world at our age now, because you know we're contemporaries, the the lot of us, we're all of the age. If he was our age now, what would we be writing about? That's, I mean, that that's a real shame. So this, to a certain extent, I, I think it's it's more when critics go and oh, it's the voice of the generation, what have you? Yeah, but that of a generation grew up. We we're not still those same teenagers with that same angst. Everyone has to go through that to start developing their kind of view of the world and their their relationship with it. Um, you can't you can't keep that kind of because it's like no the world isn't out to get you and you alone you're not on, on your own but that's how you feel as a teenager and it uh, uh, so what I'm saying is that's why it connected but that's why I it's not I can't have the same relationship with it, with this album at my, at my age now I think I might be just I I think I'm a little bit dippy and romantic with a lot of the music <laughs> I do I, I'm happy to be I'm happy to be. Uh, Again, you you probably straighten me out a little bit in sensing with that kind of a bit of bit more sensibility, but yeah, I, I can kind of go and immerse myself and be a bit that way again. I don't know. Sorry, Martin, yeah. far away. No, but... no, it's all right. <laughs> um, the Damned wrote a song called. This wasn't just about Kurt Cobain. It was about you know the the Twenty Seven Club. Would you be so hot if you weren't dead? Yeah, and it's how we kind of romanticize and mythicize people who are no longer with us that had a certain amount of work that may have had really great relevance, but it's put on a pedestal because they're no longer with us. And, you know, and it's like shrines to these people. It's like, 
really? Did you hear how much drivel certain X person can be like? Jim Morrison, you know, he's the best person, you know, best musician ever. Made. If you listen to lots of those, it's absolute drug-induced alcoholic drivel, you know, and even the band have admitted they were pulling things together just because they were contractually obliged to do so. I'm not saying that's the same with Nirvana because they, they could have trolled through all the the archives and put stuff out, you know, and done posthumous releases and they haven't. And it's all the better for that. Absolutely. You know, but um, sometimes we overly romanticise about albums. Um, this is an album that I hit with straight away and I still go back and listen to it and, you know, and I still feel the same way. It takes me back to how I felt at the time as we'll talk about specifically with one particular song on this album, but, um, you know, the voice of a generation. Well, it was a generation where it was generation Y, you know, <laughs> you know, like why is this and why is that? You know, everyone was questioning because we've come out, of, you know, come out of a time where information was starting to be drip fed to us and start of the internet and start of people questioning things, and, you know, and things like political correctness, you know, and, questioning what's right and wrong people were actually starting to go actually you know because it come from movements like rock against racism and the anti-nazi league where people were questioning and i said do we accept this you know and like women's women's rights bands you know like the, the likes of bikini kill l7 babes in toyland you know that were around around the same time as this it was a case of there's an equality here you know and there's a great line on the next song which we'll talk about in a minute it's talked about in a way that isn't congruent with what the actuality of it was for me. It's it's built up to a next level because he's no longer with us, which is the tragedy of it all. Mm-hmm. Because I'd love to hear what he came out with, you know, having mm-hmm. heard in Utero and where that went, which was a lot more left field. Yeah. Again as a as a possibly dippy again, a dippy romantic gobshite again. I have to admit that is that is me. I'm a little bit over romanticized a lot of music, but I really do think. And again, I I really I can't say I was as into Bleach at the time. Well, I probably haven't listened to Bleach to be honest till till never mind. I don't think. But I always liked Bleach, and I could always find enough in it that I did like. And at the the amount of dissonance in it and the the other songwriting styles didn't bother me too much. And then for me. In Utero, I really, really liked as well because to me, you just faded back into Bleach a little bit, but with the type of studio quality that you you had at that time. I I honestly, honestly think he would have gone on to be a seriously, seriously respected artist had he been able to keep it together. I yeah. really do, genuinely. Um, but uh, but again, it's pure. We pure shall never know. Yeah, pure mm. supposition. Well, anyway. Uh, another indication that perhaps he would have done was was lithium because this is another oh god I'm, I haven't said it yet in this podcast I'm going to do here's another banger <laughs> <laughs> um, sit again a, another perfect use of the motif a lovely little picked intro which is quite an odd little intro that moves kind of all over the place in terms of picking and I love the fact that he's not actually picking open chords he just picks power chords and I just I've, Massive respect for that because it just shows what you can actually do, provided you, you get your 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 played melody and your vocal melody sorted out. It works so well. But again, same same motifs, um, darkness and light. Whilst there was, I think over the years, perhaps a little bit what Ian said previously. I can't say I'm 
I can always listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit, but you're absolutely right. It was if if ever a song's been done to death, it's it's Smells Like Teen Spirit, and Lithium is is a bit of the sort of flag bearer of what's left for huge singles for for Nirvana. Lithium is a single that never was. I, I think because I think the only release oh. Teen Spirit off this, and but but Lithium was one of those. Um, uh, was... In the days where you used to have the CD jukeboxes, Lithium was the other one that was in um, regular rotation. Lithium, Come As You Are, and I think Breed were released as singles. Oh, they were? Well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I know, yeah, yeah. I know Lithium was a single because the, yeah. the uh, should we say, the Beatles video that was... Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. ...on constant rotation. And this was the one that nailed his... He's, he's colours to the flag of being a Beatles fan for me because yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's it's a pop song mm. more than anything. But then it's got that really cranky chorus and particularly mid-late or the bridge bit. The There's superb dynamics all over the place. You've got the generic light and shade stuff. You've got sort of the bungee. <laughs> I can't have, this is the second time I've, I've called... He he must not be called down John Bon Jovi. Uh, the John the Bon Jovi were was replaced by Nirvana. Yeah, yes, yeah, which I really like. And then you've got like on the second verse, it drops down to the bass, and that's just sublime. You know, it takes away that really really signature guitar part played and just drops to the bass. The, 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 you know, the use the use the movement the dynamics of something which again essentially this is simplistic music. Its component parts are simplistic which for me makes it all the more impressive of, of how good they was as a three-piece band and band songwriters and arrangers. You know, it really underpins just how, how damn good they were. So, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of Lithium, without a doubt. So it's a single that was. It's <laughs> I completely got that wrong. Right. The one thing I'm finding out of the podcast is it's as long as we can we can uh, support <laughs> each other with as long as we know seventy five percent of the facts each we probably cover everything off. <laughs> At least I'm talking about the right song this time. <laughs> oh, it's. I, I think um, I, I like to think most of the people listening to us listen to so much music that occasionally they mix one thing up with another. Otherwise, we're on to a loser. I'll tell you nothing more. But yeah, anything else about lithium you want to say, Martin? Or? No, but I, I've realised there's something I didn't say. I was I was really disparaging about uh, "Come as You Are," but there is something that I really do like about it. Oh, go on. Which is, you know, on the the end of the chorus, the no, I don't have a gun. That that if you listen to it on really good cans, you'll hear all the harmonies in that bit. Yeah, and right. it's yeah. phenomenal. There's a range of harmonies that when you've just first listened to it, you won't pick up on, and that's the the thing that I really did like about it, apart from the fact it was, like I say, a rip-off of Ages by Killing Joke, but that bit <laughs> is really, really, really good, and that's what... I'm, that's I'm gonna, his saving grace for me, is that wonderful harmony part. I'm putting you two, in, you two into therapy after this. You for, <laughs> for, that, for that song, Martin, and Ian for his, his 16th. So it's gonna... <laughs> this is no honking robot goose. No, this is... Oh, God. Uh, God bless the honking Small mercies. <laughs> Small okay. sisters. Anyway. I, I think I think the, the, the point about the, the harmonies throughout the album actually is 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 um, is, a, is a good one because the the, uh, the kind of close harmony and the double tracking and wh- however the um, vocals have been treated have a slightly otherworldliness about them 
um it, you know that i'm not quite sure what what effect effects on there it, it's almost like you know you know um uh 10cc there that um uh, not in love the the epic uh, god knows whatever it is 800 harmonies <laughs> aren't there uh, it, it 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 goes in towards that territory no not nowhere near as, as kind of pompous and overblown as that but there's just something that just lifts it and and again just tweaks it to to the left of center slightly yeah about the about this particular track though the the one thing that i know you touched on earlier on ian was about how sometimes his voice was almost at the edge yeah of tune what I really like about this is at the end, you know, like on the bit, I, I like it, I'm not going to crack. It gets more and more ferocious <laughs> and desperate. And the last one, you can really hear that his voice is cracking. Yeah. And I think that was, it was a case of, I can imagine Butch Fig going, yep, yeah, that's a take. <laughs> yeah, but my voice, my voice, not listen to the lyrics. It's, it, it's perfect. It just fits yeah. so well. It's really, really, really at the edge of it. It's, and it's all the better for it because it it's not nice and it's not pretty, and that's what I like about it. it's honesty. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they had a Louis Louis moment on on that and uh, um, printed printed the one that was uh, not necessarily intended at the time. Yeah, and just went no that that works. Yeah. Cool. Right. A really brief break in proceedings here. A quick public service announcement. We were meant to be joined by uh, Sean, who was on the uh, the last uh, the uh, like a prayer that we did, and he just pinged me because he completely forgotten this was what the 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 album that he wanted to talk on. So he's quite upset about that, and Sean's assured me that he's going to try and get in as many Nirvana references on every podcast that he makes <laughs> after this. As a result, so nice one, Sean. Don't worry, there's plenty there's plenty out there for you, mate. Don't worry, don't worry. Okay, uh, moving on to Polly, which. Now this is this is um, a, a bit of a, a of a change of mood. Um, I, I love the fact that anybody who writes about this album puts oh well, there's a couple of ballads on it, and I don't ballad. It's like it's not a ballad. <laughs> no, 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 because it's, it's on acoustic guitar. Yeah, I know, I know. It, freak, it does my it does do my melon disappears. <laughs> it's, it's not a ballad. But um, the thing I like about this is it is so overtly starkly dark. Uh, and what it's written about is so overtly starkly dark, yeah. Um, but for some reason, it it really really works. It's uh, pacing wise, I guess, for a whole song to be like this, you've you've genuinely got something's pacing. Um, as a lot of people know, I am an inept vinyl person, so Ian always has to point out, "Hang on, Paddy, what you're talking about is rubbish," because. This is, we don't forget there's two sides and this is how we used to do <laughs> yeah, it back in the day. Of I'm like, yeah, one. of course. So it was Polly end of side one. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't, it was okay. Okay. Yeah. On the vinyl. Cause I was into CD era by this point. So, so I never had this one on, <laughs> uh, on vinyl. <laughs> okay. I, I bought it on vinyl and sold it for a King's ransom. Oh, right, right. Oh, good, all good. <laughs> but um, yeah. So knowing that, that makes a lot more sense as well, I guess, as a bookend yeah. for, for side A. Um, and the other thing that I picked off again, I'm really, I'm really cheating here. I've been watching the, um, uh, the the great albums episode of this again, but I couldn't resist because I'd remember watching it so many years ago. and I really enjoyed it, so it was uh, obviously germane to what we're talking about in its entirety. But um, I love the one uh, Polly said he um, Kurt came in. I think it was on the second verse he came in early but they left it in any way and it's just that lovely example of something that well 
he must have meant it really because it absolutely fits and I can't imagine it being any other way in the world. Um, so I just love the fact that that Polly said, pause, Polly said and went into setting it and that yeah. was actually an accident sort of thing. What, what's that famous rock and roll song that uh, that does it? will come back to me. I'll suddenly yell it out in about uh, half an hour. Um, <laughs> but, it, it, um, but exactly the same thing. It wasn't Louis Louis again, wasn't it? But he, he, uh, he comes in after the... Uh, the the solo does the first three words of the first line stops yeah. and then waits for the riff to come round again and starts again and yeah that uh, that uh, that resonated uh, to me I, you know and I like that that's left in it's great and probably it, it would sound odd now if that wasn't there yeah absolutely absolutely but I I, I love it. I mean you say it's an acoustic guitar which obviously it is but it's not a seal strung acoustic guitar it's catgut or you know nylon or at least very, very muted. And that's, that's not a rock star's choice of instrument. It's become oh, quite common. popular recently with some of this kind of, uh, more kind of uh, folky singer-songwriter stuff we have. But um, I think it's an interesting choice. It, it, it sounds like the kind of guitar that someone's picked up because they found it at a house party and it, it belongs to someone's dad. And, and it, was, it was tuned once about six years ago. And I, I think that's, it's just a great... Uh, great choice of instrument because again the, the darkness of the the lyrics and the, the the subject matter to choose an instrument that's kind of uh you know <laughs> it's 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 not a rock and roll instrument by choice is it so it's, it's kind of barely in there and it just adds to the the, the weirdness of the whole thing i think i i love this track it's it's um and it, you know it's not particularly long but uh because i think it would outstay its welcome if it went on much longer but it, they do nice little songwriting tricks with it, you know. They, you know, they drop everything out at one point. It just hangs around a bit and then comes back in. You know, it's it's a nice structure to it as well. Well, it's a song that I like, but if you listen to it and then play "Rocking in the Free World," you'll. <laughs> oh, you... <laughs> you do. You'll hit... You do know that there's only so many chords, don't you, Martin? <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> If you listen Actually, to it, the I'm going to argue. No, I'm going to argue with you there. The, the, <laughs> the first three notes, I, I can uh, I can give you, but I can probably f- think of another ten, fifteen songs that that share that. Um, you go. No, not not of the not of the vocal melody. The the actual, just the guitar in the background. It just it's it. I listened back. I thought, God, this is so much like Rocket in the Free World riff. But the well, Rocket in the Free World riff is da 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 da. That's Rocket in the Free World. That's a version of it. I've, that's I've, Neil. <laughs> it's Neil Young's version. Yeah. Neil Young always plays ham fisted. Anyway, let's not. He does. <laughs> that was that was the best get out of jail free. Everything, ever everything from Harvest Moon onwards, it's been. It's been. <laughs> anyway, I think the sparseness of the accompaniment to the lyric is what benefits the song. Yeah, as Paddy's already yeah. said about the subject matter of it, it is so dark. It 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 adds to it rather than if you tried to. I mean, there's another version of it, New Wave Polly. Uh, and it it's to its detriment. So this version is the definitive version. Yeah, the, the, been left. the sparse the sparse nature of it gives room for the subject matter. Yeah, and the other I, I guess the other factoid was that this had actual Chad Channing recorded symbols on it. Um, yeah, so I guess that's um, 
he still had his sort of fingers on the album, which is nice. It's nice. I mean, he's, oh God, being replaced by Dave Grohl, you just, well, <laughs> the Foo Fighters drummer got replaced by Dave Grohl as well. So it's a thing, isn't it? Ultimately, the first Foo Fighters drummer. But, um, but yeah, so fitting end to side one, um, a good bookend, slightly different, constant dynamic. I think there was a, another band that we can't call a goth band who, who, who finished each side with a, an inverted collar, an inverted commas, a ballad, but we won't talk about them because we'll be doing that again soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we've done that one. <laughs> Just today, today. Okay, so opening side B. Um, I, I've all I've written because I, I don't know. I never, I've never completely got on with this because this. I think when I got into this, this was the one that stretched a little bit too far away from the constant I was moving out of and into um, alternative music, if you like. Um, and I just put Gonzo fast punk with a little more dissonance. <laughs> so this this felt like um, sort of a not an angry shot. I don't know. This felt like it could have been on Bleach for me. But again, you know, good, strong chorus. It is something that you can um, sing along to, et cetera, et cetera. Again, great live track. One, a, a track that they've often, well, I say they've often ended with. I'm not saying that with any particular amount of of knowledge. Uh, on the on a lot of the recordings that have come out of live gigs, um, it's one of the last few tracks and certainly does its job in that sense. But yeah, uh, definitely the, uh, the fastest of the punk more punk tracks uh, on the album. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about his vocals breaking up. I mean, at the end of this one, it yeah. completely falls apart in a delightful way. I mean, there's no other way this song can end than kind of fall in on itself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's got to end in cacophony because of the way that it starts off sort of thing. Martin? Well, as it, uh, talking about how it starts off, the little, uh, shall we say, bit at the beginning from a song that was uh, covered by another band that have been uh, course, in these yes. podcast series. They, they, they won a stuff, song by, originally done by a band called The Youngbloods, a song called Get Together. And the first time I saw this song being played was on the Jonathan Ross show. They were supposed to be playing Lithium as it was a single. Yeah, yeah. And they played this song and it was like, Oh my god! I mean, I'd heard it on the album, but live it just took on a whole new platform and its ferocity. As Ian said about it, the way his vocals break up at the end, there's a, there's a couple of lines in it that show that he wasn't. You know, like I've I've said earlier on that we kind of put him on a pedestal, but there's some lines any brilliant songwriter will come out with lyricists particularly. Never met a wise man. If so, it was a woman. Yeah, is. A great one because you know he was very much you know like it's not a case of men or women being a band it's musicians being in bands you know you know the fact that he was he idolized kim gordon you know <laughs> but and there's also another line in this which the first time i heard it I, it's again it's one of those lines when i hear an intelligent line i just feel like applauding just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that don't mean they're not after you yeah uh, but then he goes back into the scream a bit and the way his voice goes at the end it's just it's it's a song it's a bit like My Michelle by Guns N' Roses, the fact that it's a song that excited me. Like you said, Paddy, it's it's very much a punky thing, but that's kind of where I'm from. A punk song that's still a pop song. It's a screaming punk song, well, pop song. I think that's the point. It, be, it It's very very much got the pop sensibility because for all the, the kind of ferocity and the shouty vocal, it suddenly 
drops back into that palm muted riff in yeah. a very kind of traditional rocky it kind of gets right let's have a rest and it's and it's incredibly melodic at that at that at that point before it then mm. departs off again which just gives it it gives it more i mean you, you've mentioned a couple of lines there they're pretty much the only lines in it <laughs> except yeah. the, the the chorus the you know it's screaming yeah it, it is more chorus than verse this uh, this song yeah but it, i think it benefits from from being that way yeah yeah You've sort of nailed um, with the just because you're paranoid that don't mean they're not after you. There are a few little standout phrases, sentences, half sentences. Again, it's funny, sort of gently moving into into drain you, I guess. Chewed me, <laughs> the whole sort of chewed meat from uh, you passes back and forth from uh, Matthias. That always stuck, that really stuck in my head. He, he wrote some, and again, I'm, I'm not that much of a lyric guy, but... There were there were little standouts dotted all over in terms of just for some particular reason they just tended to stick in my head. Whereas other artists who write things, I'd never pick anything out like that. But there are all quite a lot on this album actually that that kind of do that. Yeah. Um, but moving into Drain You, I, this is actually my favourite song on the album. I love mm. this tune. Um, it's an apps again. It has some of those perfect live dynamics because it's. Uh, <laughs> No surprise, darkness and light motif, but the way that it just kind of comes in all at once, boom, and off it goes. Uh, really brilliant live track. But um, yeah, chewed meat from chewed meat from you passes back and forth from my mouth to yours. Just would never get out of my head. And apparently, this is this is one that he wrote about his um, about his about his breakup. Um, so I don't know. Perhaps that that sort of resonates to my romantic bone or whatever i don't know but i always I, for whatever the untouchable thing that makes one song one person's favorite and another's another per- person's favorite i absolutely love drain you it, it's a really nice song and again that's sat amongst those uh, three mammoth singles so um i can certainly say that about it i think it's interesting you took talk about the um uh how the song starts it just that comes straight in um, because I think the gapping between ter- uh, territorial pissings and this seems to be shorter than the standard gapping. Mm. There's, there's something about the way it comes in off the back of that, the noise wall of noise behind it. It just, it, it suddenly seems to arrive like someone's just <laughs> br- broken in with this. Oh, we're going to have some uh, harmony here. And I don't know whether it is, I've not actually uh, timed it or what have you, but it does, it does seem to come quicker after the previous songs than your standard album gapping and there's just something about that it's you you know when you 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 know an album well as the song starts to finish you know what's coming next it's already in your head you the the kind of familiarity thing um uh uh this one just seems to just land straight away it's almost like it's it's tacked onto the end of the uh the the previous one um but yeah i i I love it it's (laughs) It's again. It's it's weird and it bounces and it's 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 strange. It's very tuneful. Um, it, yeah, strange, strange lyrics. Yeah, love mm. it. Again, talking about lyrics, my favourite line on this is, "I don't care what you think unless it's about me." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, so the one thing I, I, I've when I went back to this album is I went back and reread all the lyrics and I'm like, "There's some odd things going in this man's head." <laughs> But in a good way, you know, it's art and that's, you know, he was yes. an artist and that's yeah. the one thing, you know, when we're talking about uh, putting people on pedestal, he was an artist and, you know, 
in a, a free thinking person. And I think this is an example where you, it's quite mellow in the fact that, you know, if you imagined uh, a, an album cover versions, people doing Nevermind, and I mean, this is a great compliment, REM doing this song would work so well because it's got that kind of pop college rock sensibility that REM was, you know, for, so famous for. That's interesting because REM are one of the bands that apparently he was interviewed and said that he was listening to prior to starting to write this album, along with like, mm. I think it was the Pixies, Melvins, et cetera, et cetera. But. Yeah. And REM, their earlier stuff, it was a lot closer to this kind of stuff mm. than the mm -hmm. slightly more radio-friendly stuff that, that kind of broke through late, later on. Yeah. They're all coming from a, from a similar set of influences. Yeah. I, again, I mean, I know... REM was a di uh, sort of a bigger band before Nirvana broke. But again, did did Nirvana sort of pull them through into the mainstream to a point, and then they started making slightly more studio savvy? I mean, not that they couldn't write a good tune anyway, but making slightly more studio savvy stuff because of the floodgates that were open. That's quite an interesting uh... thing. Which is weird because if they were, it's it's kind of a full circle. I mean, again, it's postulated. If it, it's kind of a full circle thing, that kind of thing, because then they're sort of how to put it. I suppose it all comes down to when Green came out, arguably. But it's sort of full. If 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 it's part of his influences, and then it sort of is a is a physical gateway into the ears of the masses for more acceptance of his um, of his influences music. I think that's quite a nice thing in a way. You're paving your own way indirectly. Yeah, I think the other thing that I think Kurt Cobain really appreciated, the fact that R.E.M. did things the R.E.M. way. You know, they, they wouldn't play the industry game in the way the industry wanted them to. And I think that's something that was respected very much so. And there's there's a mutual respect, you know, and love for, you know, the, the honesty with which both bands went about what they did. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, then. Uh, moving along to Lounge Act. Um, I argued with myself a little bit when I was trying to think of something to say about Lounge Act because for some reason it makes me think of, um, it sounds a little bit like a Lemonhead, not a specific Lemonhead song. It just feels like a, it has a bit of a touch of the, the, the Lemonheads in its consistency for some reason, although... No, I, I, can, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, not, not, that they're, not that they're entirely disparate sounding bands anyway yeah, yeah. but so it's quite subtle um, but i kind of always felt that about this nice nice bass intro and i love the fact that the, the way that he sort of um steps up with the harsher vocal on the second chorus yeah time around that that's kind of quite powerful i think the second side it, again it's not it's not single he heavy because they're all on the first side but the again it's like how to write consistent tracks without them just being fillers in inverted commas. They're still sort of solid tunes. I suspect that at the time, the promotion, the promotional activity and strategy for this album wasn't a, a carefully architected plan. And in the sense, they ended up chasing the popularity of the album because it was the right place, right time, hit the yeah. side guys. And sort of that, that, that promotion developed. So I think if you were in a, in a position where you would have known this would have been a massive hit, I think you could have picked a couple of, songs off the second side that you would have elevated to sort of fourth and fifth single status pretty easily. Um, and it, it, the second half feels very even, not in a sort of detrimental way to the first half. It was just the first side had some real peaks. 
So yeah, lounge act, solid song. And say it just makes me new ones to step, shuffle closer to uh, the Lemonheads a little bit, that's all. Yeah, it's nice bouncing bass line, different vibe, different feel to it. It's probably, is it in 2-4 or is it just, but there's a little bit more swing to it, but it's got kind of a, a marchy kind of feel to it. You can see why they call it lounge act as well. It, mm. You know, it's got, it does conjure up that, you know, that kind of, that kind of vibe, albeit um, then taken by the scruff of the neck and, and giving a good swift knee in the uh, in the ghoulies. To me, again, this is one that, having not listened to the album for quite some time, because the songs are so ingrained on you, you don't feel you need to. You can just pull them straight out of the memory bank and go, yeah, that, that, that's... In fact, the only thing on Territorial Pissings that I didn't remember from listening to it on the cans was right at the beginning of the song, you know, just as the guitar riff comes in into the song proper, the right at the end of it is a groan. Listen to it again on headphones. It's like I never heard that first time round, and that's right. the only thing. Just little things that you'll hear that you never would have heard, you know, because we listened to it loud. We didn't necessarily yeah. <laughs> listen to it intelligently in the same way, you know, um, because we're too busy enjoying ourselves. But this is a song lounge at um, that I always thought. Mm, not sure, and I've gone back listened to it. I thought again, this is something we've talked about with other albums. It's an al- it's a song that suffers from being amongst much more attractive relatives. Um, I really like the fact that the vocal phrasing when the, the second verse comes in is totally different to the first because the first one's like really downplayed. It's a bit like uh, it always puts me in mind of you know when they did uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" on top of the pops. And Kirk Cobain <laughs> yeah. famously did his impression of Andrew Eldritch, he <laughs> said, when he, he did it deadpan and, and dour and downbeat, and terribly, um, was the fact that the first verse is it's 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 really under under song. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, yeah, whatever. And then you hear the true Kirk Cobain from the second verse onwards. But there's still. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I got uh, that wrong. I said chorus. I meant to say yeah, first. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah, but the, again, you've got these nice little harmony bits, which back in the day we wouldn't have been as as attuned to because we're too mm. busy just going with it, listening back to it. That are really really nice, and it's a song that I was delighted to hear again because I didn't remember it as well. I thought it's. Because it's got all these others around it, it's it's unfair. It's it's mm-hmm. going to be forgotten about. And is it fair to forget that song because of it's got this and it's got that on it? It's like right. Well, let's listen to that one. Let's focus on that song uh, more so than other ones because I don't need to listen because I know what's going on. And it benefited from not having heard it for a long time, and it was a much better song than I remembered it to be. Cool, cool. And there's also that weird little studio thing that they do at the end. It's I don't know if it's a pitch detune or it's sort of yeah, it's like a tape which, stop. Yeah, which is kind of yeah. interesting because it's a very organic sounding album. I mean, you have the guitar effects, there's chorus everywhere and all that kind of thing, plenty of distortion, but it doesn't. And it sounds like a studio album in terms of it's well recorded and there's been a lot of attention paid to the dynamics. But I, I just love that because that sort of stands out as a oh, let's do a sort of little inverted commas trick at the end mm. of the song on on, the, on just one song. And it's, so I was yeah. kind of 
but quite it doesn't feel like it's a contrived thing. It feels like no, they actually works. did it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh that's, yeah. that's a happy accident. No, no, no. That's all good stuff. Yeah. Definitely all good stuff. So moving on to Stay Away, I'd say this is probably the next most mm, next most punky one after Territorial Faces, possibly. Um, highlight of this tune for me, I love the vocal oh, 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 that is following the little um, guitar line and, and, and sort of bends. Yeah. I think that's really, really mm. cute. And also, again, th- th- another one that they've done something interesting with the ending, because it's almost as if they've, they've sort of... No, it doesn't sound like they've recorded it live, but it sounds as if some sort of weird live ending to a song where you have sort of a, a, a drum, sort of a drum spasm, and then like a rock and roll drum ending, and then just loads of like detuned uh, guitar noises. And, and it, I don't know, it just has this sort of vibe of, it's not a live song, but... It's sort of we're going to end it as if it's kind of a live song, uh, which could have some parity with what they were inclined to do with things at the end of uh, at the end of uh, gigs at the uh, Nirvana gigs uh, with with detuning guitars and then you know beating the shit out of them to be honest. But um, but yeah, again another another one that you, you could have made it the fourth or fifth single had there been the. A proactive rather than a reactive marketing campaign, which this probably ended up being. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that the the kind of four chord riff is perhaps a little too similar to the formula of Teen Spirit to make a a, a, a single because it's a similar pace, mm. similar similar intervals, I mean, completely different tone, but it's it, it it's more similar than um, than anything anything else, I'd say. Um, but the focus here is obviously on on the the base for uh, for driving the, uh, the the verses at least. I really like the drum. Obviously, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm speaking up for the drummers here. I really yeah. like the, the the. It's kind of an interesting bait on the verses, particularly. Um, it's not a standard rock bait on it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bit shuffly, and like Paddy's mentioned a few minutes ago, you know the the bits that are shouted out after each line and that guitar meow, meow, I really <laughs> like that the discord, yeah. like, we talked about this discord like it's not pretty it's but it doesn't sound clever clever it's just it's a case of da 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 but it's, it's like of, uh, it's almost like the um uh, the the grunge rock swanny whistle though isn't it <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's it's, it's done very well and it's, it's done almost very often a, but like a carry on film moment oh dear <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact you know sometimes you get these things that um, are done at the end of a verse or end of chorus I think the fact that it repeats it I think is perverse it's a case of right this sounds odd we'll just keep doing it we're just going to keep doing it like so you've got the the standard line and then that Odd line, standard odd, standard odd, standard odd, and then the driving chorus. Yeah. Which, you know, if you if you can't remember the lyrics of that, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I think, you know, you must have not been sponsored by any uh biro type companies because uh repeat of words was something they did quite often. So I guess then we jump into pure pop with with on a plane. Nice and even, uh nice vocal melody, nice pop song. I love the um sort of gentle underpinning almost spooky under the choruses that 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 was sort of which again that's another juxtapose similar to the idea of the dark and light motif it's you've got something sort of general and sonorous whereas 
other aspects of the band are much more in your face and raucous. Although, again, as I say, this song I think is uh, more of a more of a pop song. Uh, and again, another line that always we we say this about these lines. You've you've sort of called one out, Martin. I've called one out, but but um, love myself better than you. It's just I don't know. It, you seem to get these little lines stamped that just somehow sort of levitate out of a song slightly more than a lot of other artists I'd ever listened to would have little lines and phrases levitating out. Again, I don't know if it's some kind of subliminal attachment to ideas of uh, or pretensions about voices of generations or, or, or paradigm <laughs> shifts in music and for some reason you just pull them out because it's as if they should be written on a tablet and there should be 10 of them or something. I don't know. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, the, the, the finest bit about this this song writing was uh, the finest day I ever had. I ever had was when I learned to cry on demand. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. Ooh, uh, there's a barb. Yes. Well done on that barb, Mister. Bloody good lyrics. I mean, it's a yeah. good, good writers. At times, he, he could be very good. At, at times, like I say, I'm looking, looking. At, I've looked at the whole lyrics, and I thought it goes from repeat, repeat, repeat to really intelligent. So you know. There's a pop sensibility, there's a rock sensibility, and there's punk rock sensibility all going off. Sometimes it's like, no, it's it's the music that matters on this song. So don't matter what I say, I'm just gonna go three blind mice, blah, 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 blah. But on this one, it's important what I'm saying. So it's gonna marry the two together. And I think stripping the song back a bit as they do on this suits it. Yeah, yeah. And again, for me, it it was another fourth or fifth single if they'd have wanted it. I think this would have would have done the job as well, to be honest. Um, consistent, solid tracks that were between sort of the album track and the single thing. But getting a good album track isn't a bad thing. God, we could easily no, have no. a have a have a good podcast on the difference <laughs> between a single and an album track, or a good album track and a bad album track. I, I don't think there's a dud on this. I think every single song is 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 a eight to ten out of ten each time for me. Uh, sort of no issues at all. By the way, just to kind of square the circle, uh, it just suddenly came back to me. Which is it? Uh, which is strange because visually you're sat in a circle. Yes, I know, I know, it's, and it's uh... got even more concentric. Uh, it was Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill, is ah, right, and she you. was the one that did the graffiti. It smells, Kurt like, smells like Teen Spirit. Teen Spirit, yeah. And that's uh, where the idea for the song itself came gotcha. from. Anyway, <laughs> just while well I remembered, nothing much to add on. The uh, that song except doesn't have an intro. It's got some some a bit of feedback, some diggly 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 diggly, and then it's in. Love yeah, that little string hammer offs and stuff. Yeah, at the beginning. brilliant. Yeah, and then yeah. and then I like the harmony vocals at the end. The but and it really reminds me of something, but I can't place it. I think it's something like by Living Color or Fishbone or something. They've done something like like that. But yeah, it's it's really really moody and. Um, I'm seeing a picture of living colour. Uh, it'll come to me, the track, but yeah. It's, so, it's uh, something yeah. of that ilk, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's going to bug me now. And it'll come back to me later. <laughs> ah! <laughs> just, just, and I, uh, just for the uh, for the viewers at home uh, listening in radio on black and white, as I've said before. Um, <laughs> the pink's when, behind the brown. When we're, when we're referring to uh, Martin being down a hole, for some reason, his, uh, because we can all see each other while we're doing this, well, Fortunately for you, you can't. 
<laughs> and very and Mar- much so in my case. Martin Martin's camera seems to have regressed somewhat into its shell because we can see Martin through a little circle. So if all that was a bit confusing, that's all that means. <laughs> it just looks like it's trapped down a well. Yeah, yes, very it's strange. like it's like the Doctor Who swirls going about about to happen any minute. That's the absolutely yeah. perfect, absolutely perfect. <laughs> okay then. Uh, Last song, well, uh, I, I, I may hand over to Ian here because um, we were discussing at the beginning, Endless Nameless apparently um, appeared on later pressings of the album. And when I've kind of looked it up online, um, the track listing has ceased at something in the way, which would seem to be uh, with with a similar kind of uh, tone relational to Polly uh, be a good bookend for for side, uh, I was going to say side five then, I've no idea what I'm talking about, side B. But Ian, uh, over to you, mate. Well, um, yeah, no, all I was going to say is um, that on the original CD, so so it was always supposed to be, uh, Endless Nameless was always supposed to be on the end. Um, and I think it was uh, obviously a miscommunication or something or a problem at the pressing plant, which means it got missed off the original pressings. But on the CD, it wasn't a separate track. It was actually part of something in the way, and something in the way on the original CD was twenty odd minutes long, mm-hmm. and something in the way finished round about three minutes fifty, something like that. There was then ten minutes of silence, and then endless nameless tacked on, uh, you know, gotcha. getting on for seven minutes of, of raucous noise, yeah. and it used to be great on CD jukeboxes in pubs because you'd put something in the way on the jukebox, <laughs> um, and then the whole bar would go quiet for about 10 minutes and then suddenly you'd have this eruption of noise core um it was just a interesting little prank that dickheads in our uh, <laughs> early 20s uh, i hadn't got over yet <laughs> you know what can i just say thank you because you just reminded me of something i used to go play pool every sunday night in leeds and we would choose the longest songs to go on the jukebox, it'd be Sweet Home Alabama, it'd be uh, American Pie. Civil War by Guns N' Roses, and it'd be <laughs> this, yeah, any song that we knew had. Uh, I, I think one pub we went to, the, the first China Drum album, and they'd done a similar thing where there was, I think it's 12 minutes of silence, and then there was their version of Wuthering Heights by right. Kate Bush. And it can, I think this was one of the first albums that did this, the secret hidden track. Uh, and then a lot of kind of Indian alternative bands tended to do it where they'd sneak a track on at the end. It was yeah. all credit unedited just there. Because on the CD, it wasn't a separate track because it was just the, mm. uh, something in a way. It was a long track. It never showed up. You put it in there, it would say, yeah, there are there are 12 tracks on this album and what have you. On the CD jukebox, there'd be 12 tracks listed with something in the way as as the, la- the last one. And... Like I say, you know, in the the Zetland in Huddersfield, that was our regular prank that we'd put on. If we didn't particularly like people's jukebox selection, we say, "Well, we, we can we can put a fire break in all of this um, with a, with a single ten pence piece." Until the landlord got fed up of the little joke and just came and reset the jukebox every time we did it. But uh, that's no fun. Anyway, so we should uh, let's go back to something in a way after that that uh, diversion. So yeah, that it's something. Unless I'm overegging it, there's something sort of lightly, lightly mystical about this. His style of delivery, it's very, very downbeat. 
It's very, very simple. It was apparently recorded in the um, studio control room with him laid on a on a sofa, and Butch Vig set up a load of mics for him, and he laid on his back, and so because he'd, he'd, he'd related to Butch Vig that they'd tried some in versions of the studio, and he said, no, 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 I've got to do it really, really quietly, just me and a really, really gentle guitar. So they did it in the in, in the control room, and this is what we, kind of what we got. And I, there's there's stuff that is written about, as you say, that might be a little bit um, non-specific, sort of arty and implying things. This is almost like he's talking about a fantasy in a way. There's something really, really throw some sparkle dust on on it for me. I, I do love this song, and it's it's gained a little bit of uh, notoriety recently because it was included in the soundtrack of the new Batman film. And it was All right. uh, prior to six, I was pretty late seeing that film. And um, I'd read a few articles. Some some seemed very pro this song in the context of the film. And some seemed very anti this song in the context of the film. And I'm very much in the pro camp. It, it sits beautifully in uh, as part of the makeup of um, of the film. It really, really works. And lovely to hear a Nirvana song smashed through in big, big popular culture. I love it. Um, and the only other song I think that had an alternative instrument on it in, in, yeah. in the case of the cello, which adds to that. I don't want to say, I don't want to say sort of mystery mystique too much, but there is, there is something about this song, which I can't quite put my finger on. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, 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 I love it. It's, it's, it's got that, the, the catgut guitar again, or at least a, it might be a steel strung, but it's, you know, it's, you, you don't get the twang. It's, it's very muted. Um, you know, maybe played with a thumb strumming rather than a pick or, or, or what have you. But, um, and then the cello is, it's perfect instrument for this kind kind of thing. And again, the, the, um, the harmony vocals are in that with the, you know, the, the ooze under that, that just kind mm. of lift that whole, uh, uh, the top at the top end of it, it puts me in mind a little bit of um, the therapy song Six Mile Water because of the the cello. I mean, obviously, th- th- there was part, and you know, this uh, ther- the therapy song came later than that, but it's just there's something about the, the tone of it that there's a certain melancholy, but it's not it's not sad, you know, it's not quite wistful, it's somewhere it's somewhere in the middle of all that, and it's a it's a very interesting way to end an album, yeah. It's it sombre kind of like you say a melancholy but not not necessarily sadness. It's it's like a some albums have a punchy ending. This one is very much a come down ending again. You know, it's a bit like Carter with the final come down. It's yeah. very much a case of it's a very definite ending, which is why it's more mm. even more playful. The fact that endless and endless then, haha, got you. You thought it was the end, but it's not. It's also um, the um, something in the way is uh, as a, as a lyric is somewhat ambiguous. You know, mm. is there something in the way of what I'm trying to do, or is it, you know, there's something in the way that you that that kind of thing? It's mm. it's not entirely clear which which meaning we should take. Yeah, I think I think the way that the the vibe of the song lands with me, the best way I could explain it is, it's almost as if he's suggesting something about a well-known local urban myth and i'm not just i know he's talking about a bridge that exists in in seattle and all this kind of thing but it's it's almost sort of ghostly it's as if he's alluding to 
some slightly creepy urban myth I, for me. I seem to remember though. I, from I can't remember. I've read a couple of um, biographies. I seem to remember that um, he um, lived under a bridge mm. in wherever it was, Aberdeen or in, yeah. uh, up there uh, in Washington. At, uh, at some point when he was either not getting on with parents or you know or what have you there, there was a, there was a time when he was homeless and I, um it's certainly it, it's certainly more interesting un, under the bridge than the the chili peppers yeah. <laughs> um, kind of summoning of, of that yeah. um but I, yeah I, I think that there might be some bi- biographical autobiographical mm. stuff in that as well but yeah, obviously it, it, te- kind of a fantasy version thereof yeah it kind of drawn from selective memory mm. and <laughs> i like the, the like it's okay to eat fish because they haven't any feelings another yeah. layer of course of course why mm. didn't i write that down if i'd written some of the other and also the fact that it's one like... verse repeated twice and it's you know it's it's verse chorus repeat mm. verse chorus repeat mm. okay that brings us to the end of the album mm. um it's hard to know what to say to sum this one up i I know we probably touched on most of it at the beginning with the sort of uh, <laughs> opening arguments, as it were. But I, it was, I still, I still think it was, as Ian said, it wasn't the case, It wasn't the fact that there wasn't plenty of rich, colourful alternative music all over the place. But when the video started rotating on MTV of them mm-hmm. playing in that sports hall and everything going completely nuts. Something happened, which in my lifetime, I, I'd never experienced happening before. I It kicked something off the extent of which I'd not experienced. And I can equate this to, there was a pub that I used to, uh, yes, folks, uh, once I did used to drink, but there was a pub, <laughs> I don't anymore, but one, <laughs> there was a pub and we all had our Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, uh, Aerosmith Skid Row t-shirts on type of thing. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And I remember, um, had hair then as well, but now we'll leave that one. Are we but, talking about bogeys? No, no, no. This was, this is one actually in, um, in, um, the village outside oh, right. of, of, of Huddersfield, I lived in, but it was a local pub. For local people. For local, oh, you beat me to it. It's just too, it's just too easy. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll cross them, you had a minute. But, um, but no, no. So I, I, it, it was a period, of, a period of time. In my first ever band, I was ever in ever, um, actually. And we always used to go to this pub on a Sunday afternoon. And I remember dis- absolutely on my life, remember distinctly, over the period of, it was either a fortnight or a month, but it was a short period of time because we didn't frequent this sequence for months and months and months. But we all had these T-shirts on. And I remember my singer at the time coming in with a with the smiley face, tie-dye, acid, uh, button face thing. Yeah. And the, I remember the the T-shirts just, che- just boom, completely changed. All mm. those rock T-shirts and hair metal T-shirts disappeared and um I, i'd never known anything like that um and again i'd have had my formative years through the 60s and might have seen certain things happen i suppose if you were in you know if you were living in the states with a lot of um british music going over to the states in the 60s and sort of taking over you might have had a similar sort of thing but i, I can't think of 
many other movements. I can think of movements that came and went and movements which brought with them subcultures and visuals, but in purely in the context of radio-friendly MTV, big, visible zeitgeist, that was just a monumental few weeks. And I can really, really remember seeing the change in the context of T-shirts, which meant a lot. It actually meant a hell of a lot at the time. Well, I, I think that the thing that goes in hand in hand to this is the kind of social changes afoot at the time. Now, kind of rock music and uh, uh, and that kind of thing, it was very masculine. The gigs would be 90% blokes. There was a lot of the bands, especially some of the American bands, that um, there was a, there was a machismo about it, and it, you know it was it was toughest and could drink most. You know, it, it it was that kind of thing. And and the thing that was different about what we could loosely term grunge, because we know that it extends beyond that kind of kind of tabloid description, is it it was more in, inclusive. There were far more women at the gigs and in the bands. So you had that. Mm collision of the kind of riot girl movement and the alternatives i mean most of the big alternative bands had women in them as well you know the, the, um you know yeah, Pix, pixies yeah. sonic youth you yeah. know uh, uh, this, this this kind of thing so there was something very much and i i i think for someone that basically landed in the university in in 91 it did feel like things were shifting to a to a, a slightly less sexist less, less homophobic less discriminatory type of world um, I know you're kind of in a bubble at university, you know, like that kind of thing. But it did feel that there were certain kind of things that were that at the time we thought we'd kicked in the nuts for good. You know, we'd you know we'd fought the the um, the National Front into submission. You had a few bits and uh, pieces and what have you. But the there was a, a real social change, and and this to me and the, the kind of movement around this was very much the soundtrack to all of that. And to a certain extent, what it did because it you know. It didn't kill heavy metal or hard rock or any of that. It shifted the focus in the mainstream most definitely. But what it did, I think, is it made some of those scenes grow up a little bit more and extend their their kind of viewpoints and their and their demographic somewhat. And for that is why I think it's as important as anything, really. Again, this might be a little bit a little bit controversial, but again, for some bands, it creates. It created a slightly. I'm thinking of like Bon Jovi with "Keep the Faith." It that certain bands, I wouldn't say, tried to absolutely adapt, but all of a sudden they 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 leaned in a slightly different direction, and at times mm-hmm. became slightly more interesting than they hitherto had been. Um, the market wasn't there for people doing because it was a shame. Because again, I I was a massive fan of 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 a lot of the hair rock stuff if it was written well and and so on and so forth. And it just kind of went underground in the way that this stuff had come from the underground. Yeah, and and that's 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 very healthy, very very healthy. Absolutely. Yeah, the, I remember there used to be a late night program called Night Network, and they used to have some Indian alternative bands on that. And I remember one particular night was it was the video for uh, Lithium was being reviewed and it was being reviewed by Julia Forden and Blackie Lawless. <laughs> wow. And Blackie Lawless was being, you know, his usual, you know, hey, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a, she's a chick. What does she know? Uh, yeah. And she says, these guys are really intelligent. These are really intelligent. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're just looking at my pants. 
you can tell I'm Jewish because it's a kind of hairspray bracky grow up like these guys have. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was it was yeah. it, it was straight away you could see a sea change where Blackie Lawless was he had no answer to that, you know. Mm. And I think like you said I think it was a time there was there was a door ajar and it wasn't intentional that Nirvana got through that door. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a case of where you know they wanted to be big, you know, like sent a big label. They wanted people to hear the songs, but they wanted to do it on their terms, which you mm-hmm. never can really send to a massive label. No, no. You know, it was always doomed to failure. But like like we said before, there were bands like the Pixies, Faith No More, Smashing Pumpkins, White Zombie, all these bands that were playing an alternative rock. It was rock music because they, they grew up listening to rock music very much. So the door was ajar because we've come out of the kind of Smiths, Echo and the Bunnymen, New Order, they'd reached their apex. What's the next thing we're looking for? And the door was ajar for something to come through. And songs with a pop sensibility that had loud guitars, mm-hmm. you know, there was the tail end of the, the Gotham and the kind of what people were calling Fraggle Rock, which was really annoying. You know, the likes of Senseless oh. Things, Dead's Atomic Dustbin. Yeah, that kind you know, of. Bands like that, I think. And Grebo bands, people were in, into, yeah, and Grebo, all that kind of stuff. People were into that, like rock music. And so when this came in, it was a case of, right, oh, great, this is something new to listen to. And so it immediately had an audience. And it's an album that I liked then and I like now. It has, my, my, my point of view of this album hasn't changed massively over. Like I said, the thing that's always frustrated me is a case of putting on, you know, pedestal of the lyricist on this album, you know, that you can't beat it, it's, it's perfect. No, some great lyrics, some inane lyrics, but the songs are good. Um, yeah, but the songs aren't so good that uh, this album came and changed the world. It was like you said right at the top of it. It was about timing. Yeah. yeah. Basically, people are grown sick of the, you know, how many songs you can hear about people partying on Sunset Strip, you know. Um, and like you say, the, these these other kind of movements around. The, the time was absolutely right for this album. Boy, did it did did the album exploit that uh, that yeah. timing? Mm. No, without a doubt. And I think other, other I won't go too long for this because it's it's not directly related to that. But it's kind of like I think there was a. It was interesting in the UK because I think there was a bit of a reaction to it. I think a lot of the people in the UK sort of liked the again the ta- I'm using the tabloid for a grunge, but sort of liked the grunge movement. A lot of those bands, but you didn't really see that start to emerge here or that style of music. In a sense, there was a bit of a not an not an anti-reaction, but we went off in slightly different directions. So I'm thinking sort of like uh, you know late wonder stuff styles of music. I remember stuff he's talking about. I would imagine the like Stone Roses and things like that. Um, sort of started permeating in to a bit of a, I don't know if it's a rejection of grunge, but in the UK, I can't really think of any bands that were particularly similar. If I, if I looked at the sort of broader spectrum with, I don't know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Senseless Thing. No, that's English band, of course, I was meaning to say Screaming Trees. Yeah. Um, Alice in Chains and the like. You didn't get a lot of that here you had other types of music started to bloom. So in a sense, it did a doubly good thing because we got all that stuff we could listen to over in the States, which I really didn't mind. And it was nice to hear the change and some interesting stuff coming out. And then the UK, different things started to happen as well. So yeah, well, so yeah, it was good. I, th- 
for me personally, this is just my take on it. I suppose Britpop. I, I suppose Britpop. Sorry, Britpop is the thing to use another horrible tabloid phrase. But Britpop is the thing that happened in reality as a response in the UK to the Grinch film. Sorry, Martin, I just got my shit together at the end there. No, no. <laughs> if you look at the kind of broad sphere of Radioland, you know what what sells in America is you know is either cheesy pop or very much a, a classic rock kind of feel. You know, so those bands that you mentioned, the, 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 they all grew up listening to rock music. You know, the Aerosmiths, the Led Zeppelins and bands like that. And they were, they were influenced. Like I said, I'm, I'm not being detrimental towards them. I'm not saying they copied them. They didn't. They put, you know, they did their own thing, but it's what you grew up listening to. Uh, whereas acts in England... You know, punk had been like the big thing, and then pop music. You know, the the kind of eighties pop music. So they were kind of influenced from that, and it was a slightly different sphere that people were traveling in. You know, and it's it's kind of weird how a lot of the eighties pop stuff didn't equate as well in America. Bands didn't go down so well in America. You know, it's a case of you you ain't what we're after, buddy. You know, this is what we like, and which is why a lot of the the bands that you talk about the grunge era are very much it's a, an american centric kind of thing and they did it bloody well so good luck to them yeah, yeah right well cool we'll wrap it up i think the one thing we probably can agree on is that this is certainly an album we can go back and listen to and enjoy greatly as you said i think if you if you examine aspects of the sentiment they perhaps aren't quite how you'd have viewed them as teenage i, I get that i get that all on yeah i'm not i'm not saying it's bad i'm i'm saying 50 something ian yeah yeah yeah. doesn't quite get the same vibe as 19 year old <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that as i say i'm saying i'm, I'm op- o- overly dappy and sappy about this shit <laughs> what i'm saying i really yeah. am it's me mommy but um yeah a fantastic album anyway really enjoyed that and as i said it was a little bit of a companion piece to appetite for destruction because it was something yeah. that was part of shall we say arguably the next movement in, in the well to, to the extent that um uh, Axel Rose famously had spotted that and wanted mm. wanted uh, Nirvana to uh, to open for them on that tour, Indeed. which they they uh, uh, politely declined. declined. And then there was a lot of fr- <laughs> kind of friction between there them. Was, I remember yes. the MTV Awards. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hi Axel, where's Axel? No. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Let's not go there. Okay, another. I'm not going to say what it is, but there is another album coming, which is part of our little subtle three piece we have mentioned the band and the album and the song off that album during this podcast and uh the thing about it is for me is it's it, chronologically it's not placed in quite the place you might think it is if appetite destruction and nirvana are such sort of tent poles but we'll get back to that in, in in another show pretty soon so thank you for listening wherever you are and uh good night bye good night, good night everyone Peace out.